Welcome, son. Where'd you find this? Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode five of the Fly Route Podcast. I am your host, Anthony, aka Tony Playboy, aka Kenyon Barber's drug dealer, aka Trump's COVID test, aka You Can't See Me, aka Earl Thomas's roster spot. And I'm joined here by one of my best friends, Demarcus, aka Nigga Marcus, aka The Cowboys are third in the NFC least, aka OBJ shitty sweeps. How you doing today? I'm doing all right. You know, you could talk shit about my Cowboys, but I'm a real fan. That's going to be my team no matter how they do. And I got some faith. They're going to get better. Is Earl Thomas the answer to the Cowboys' woes, DeMarcus? When we talked about this in the summer, was initially against Earl Thomas for all the baggage that he comes with. Right now, I'll take that baggage because I know he could play some defense. (laughs) All right, we have an insane show for you today. We're going to give you an in-depth breakdown on the Jalen Ramsey Golden Tate beef, talk about which NFL coaches are on the hot seat, give you the fly route on OKC's upcoming head coach decision and give you our takes for the AFC North and South. Welcome to the tee off. This is how we like to open up our show. We like to spill some tea on the crazy things that some of our favorite athletes get into and First off, I want to mention that this week's tee off is a listener submitted request. We want to give a big shout out to Devon. We really appreciate you for putting this on our radar. This is the type of engagement that we honestly love. We want to hear from you all. We want to hear about the things you all are interested in and what you want to listen to. So let's get into it. Now, a lot of you all might have seen the massive brawl between the LA Rams and the New York Giants after their game this past Sunday. And even more of you may have seen the precipitous foresaid fight in which, man, Jalen Ramsey hits Golden Tate with a massive WWE Monday Night Raw in his sister's draws, spine buster style of a tackle in midfield. And I just want to be first and foremost, tackle was clean. Tackle was fucking beautiful. However, that's not the reason why they got into their fight. Jalen Ramsey apparently dated Golden Tate's sister, Brianna Tate, for an extended, and I mean extended, extended period of time so long in fact that at the time of the incident we're going to talk about here Jalen Ramsey already had one kid with Golden Tate's sister and had another on the way like during all of this homegirl was pregnant this is the same pregnant girlfriend that this nigga Jalen Ramsey used as an excuse to miss games and practices during the 2019 season So he could functionally hold out for his contract negotiations with the Jaguars slash get traded during this pregnancy with this nigga's second kid. I got to You can't overstate that this is kid number two. 
Jalen left her for a Vegas dancer slash performer slash model, according to her IG bio, named Monica Giovanna. What type of Vegas dancer she is, nigga, I can't tell you. But I scrolled through the profile, and I can definitely say that she's Drizzy's type. Now, y'all know the internet keeps all the fucking receipts. They had screenshots of this nigga Jalen Ramsey dropping the crown emoji and the hard eye emoji under homegirl's pictures during the pregnancy. Then he left her during the pregnancy and went IG public with his new girl, Monica Giovanni. During this time, Brianna Tate, Golden Tate's sister, is still pregnant. And some brave fucking hero of the internet, DeMarcus, brave fucking hero of the internet, went into the comments of their IG public relationship post and tagged Golden Tate. I'm with it. And this nigga Golden Tate said, he know he gonna have to see me. And I guess Sunday was that day. Tate was later interviewed in the NY Post. They inquired about this situation. And he says, and I quote, I'm not happy at all with the disrespect that he's shown towards my sister and the things that he's done in the past, but I don't really want to go too much into it. Sunday was the first time those two players have met on the field since the breakup between Ramsey and Golden Tate's sister. Now, Joe Judge, after the game, coach for the New York Giants, was like, I think Ramsey started the fight. Golden Tate was just defending himself. This nigga is 0-4. This bum need to shut the fuck up. Golden Tate told us that this nigga's gonna have to see him. He had the calendar date circled, marked. He was ready to go. Why he waited until after the game ended to throw hands with this nigga, I have no idea. But more importantly, yo, why Jalen Ramsey tackle this nigga like that? Jalen knew it was coming. Jalen knew he had to get it in while it was still legal when he wasn't going to get in trouble for it. Now, if I'm Golden Tate, we're not, we not meeting anywhere near an NFL team, a stadium, none of the above. Now, you ain't got to say nothing on social media. That's maybe not his style. But some people I know him say things like, Jalen Ramsey, he ain't shit. Jalen Ramsey, kind of grimy. That's not the kind of thing that you want to hear about anybody. Not to mention... I would not be surprised in the near term future if this Monica, you know, dancer person leaves him for a rapper or something. It would be fitting. <laughs> Look, even worse. Look, I would say be careful who you do dirt with. And in this case, Monica, you should have been careful with who you did your dirt with. Right. Because if he going to leave his, I guess, girlfriend who's got one kid with him and one on the way, what do you have? Nigga, exactly. So in this year, spring, summertime, Monica and Jalen broke up. She did the IG rollout, hitting them with the Kalani songs, getting her shit off. And allegedly, they broke up because she caught Jalen Ramsey cheating on her with some other bitch, just like he was cheating on his other bitch with you. Surprise. Surprise. You know, I didn't even know that part, but after I hear that, you know, a great quote from a great coach comes to mind. 
And I'm sure Monica's like, damn, we knew who he was and we let him off the hook. <laughs> you know he a dog. Better keep him chained up. Now, look, the NFL said they're reviewing the matter, but they do not expect to suspend anybody for this incident, which is great because after the game, allegedly Golden Tate was outside of the Rams locker room and Ramsey was outside of the Giants locker room and they were looking for each other trying to get back at it. Oh, so this is like, we should be happy they don't have a secret tunnel like the Staples Center. (laughs) Speaking of the Staples Center, Demarcus, what would you have done if this was you? It was if you I'm were Golden, Golden Tate, Tate. We would have already met. Okay. I don't know how I would have done it. They just I pull up on you, or you know, we arrange to meet for a charity boxing match or something, where I can give it to you without getting in trouble. I would have found a way. All right, then. Real talk, Demarcus. I would have done it for you know for some good though. Real talk. Do you think Doc should have swung on Paul George? Listen, there's a strong case to be made after what Paul George did to his daughter, I believe. And now he got Doc fired. I'm just saying, don't give me there's some reasonable argument, DeMarcus. I want your factual you, listen, opinion. Listen, listen, anybody who know me and you know me, that's just, I'm, I'm reasonable. I'm just saying, you said Golden Tate should have swung. You said you would have swung. Should Doc have swung on Paul George? Doc should write a book about them. (laughs) He should do like George Carl did, Carmelo Anthony, just talk dirty about him. So that in 10 years, when people are talking about Paul George's career, they're like, listen, he quit on the Clippers. He was terrible in the playoffs. Those are the kind of things they say about Melo, and there's not even as much truth there. Yeah, but in 10 years, no one will forget Doc Rivers slapping the shit out of PG-13 after his exit interview. Nah, nah, you're right. I mean, there's a good chance PG says some things that the bomber heard and they end up getting Doc fired. If I'm him, I'm doing something. He needs some kind of Matt Barnes mentality. Yo, all the smoke? All of it. Which, by (laughs) the way, is its own great podcast. I love that show. Bill O'Brien was recently let go of the as the head coach and GM of the Houston Texans. This is something that a lot of people saw coming, especially after their 0-4 start, trading away DeAndre Hopkins for like a bag of chips and half-drunk Capri Sun. I mean, Demarcus, what do you think about this? Let's talk about this for a second. Because I think if I'm the president, owner, whoever of the Texans, really, I'm firing Bill O'Brien, the GM. But I know that if I fire Bill O'Brien, the GM, for all of the terrible moves he's made, the contracts he's handed out, etc., I got to fire the coach too. And I think in this particular instance, Bill O'Brien, the GM, did the coach a disservice. So even outside of the DeAndre Hopkins thing, there are many, many instances where he made awful, terrible decisions and let his emotions get involved in being the GM of the team, which is always a recipe for disaster. They traded their left tackle, Dwayne Brown, after he made comments contrary to the owner when the owner, McNair, said, you know, the prisoner is running the prison kind of thing back when 
We were having really intense debates about the anthem protest. We have him then trading for another left tackle, Laramie Tunsil, and giving up a first-round draft pick. We have the DeAndre Hopkins thing. We have him not getting a good running back in the draft. We have them not having any first-round draft picks for a good amount of time now. The GM, Bill O'Brien, did the coach, Bill O'Brien, a disservice and let his emotions get involved in decision-making, which we know the best people don't do. The best for example, being Bill Belichick. He don't care about you at all. He's going to make the right decision for the team, no matter how he feels. The only instance where he let emotion get involved was the emotion between him and Robert Kraft when he traded Jimmy G for a bag of chips. I feel like that wasn't emotion as much as making a point. So Robert Kraft knew who's the actual boss. Yes, Robert Kraft is the boss, but no, Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick needed to let Robert Kraft know oh. he's the boss. You write the checks, nigga. Well, yeah, this is the the classic problem of Jimmy Johnson and Jerry Jones, right? The owner wants the credit for how great the team is, but we all know who's doing the work in the background. And Bill Belichick saying, look, Tom Brady's got a little bit of a noodle arm thing starting. He's never been that athletic, can't run like he used to even. Maybe we should get rid of him a little early and go ahead and start this other dude over here who we think can be good for 10, 15 years. And in this case, Belichick is, you know, rightfully upset and feeling a little petty and is like, I'm going to show you. All right. That brings us to the question of this segment. Who should be fired next? Who's on the hot seat more right now? Is it Matt Patricia? the head coach of the Detroit Lions, or Adam Gase, the head coach of the New York Jets. So real quick, I think anyone who listened to episode four of the Fly Route podcast knows where I'm going with this. It's definitely Adam Gase. But I would be remiss if I didn't point out Dan Quinn should have been fired a month ago, the coach of the Falcons. Oh, the Falcons are so bad. He may as well be a dead man walking. He just don't know it yet. Yeah, they got to... They got to restart their bunch, but I'm, let's stick to the prompt. Yeah, let's, let's get it. Adam Gase. So we already talked about how inept the Jets offense is. He's made Le'Veon Bell look like a bum and he has made Sam Darnold a highly touted draft pick before he came to the Jets not look so great. And the only, he's only in his second year, which we should add. It feels like he's been the coach of the Jets a lot longer and they've been bad for a lot longer. But they started last season, 2019, 0-4. It breaks my heart to say their first win last season came when they beat the brakes off my Cowboys in an upset that no one saw coming. No one saw coming. And then they, at the end of the season, won like five of their last eight games. So they got to 7-9. It seemed respectable. They're quote-unquote trending in the right direction, whatever that means. But in reality, the how you end a season in the NFL almost never truly carries over to the next season. Usually seems that way, right? It's a cost of more correlation, not causation, because the teams that usually end well are good teams. In this case, the Jets are not a good team. Part of that comes from the conflict that Gase had with the GM of the Jets when he was hired. And in this case, essentially, Adam Gase was mad that this guy signed Le'Veon Bell. 
and did some other offseason moves that he did not agree with. Now, publicly, Adam Gase supported them, but privately, we know what happened because this guy, uh, let me find his name real quick. He was fired three weeks after Gase took over as the head coach of the Jets, right in the midst of getting ready for the draft. And in the background of this, Gase assumed lots of the GM responsibilities for the team and explains why they haven't been able to curate talent from the draft like they should have. So in this instance, Adam Gase is that guy. He's made good talent that was selected before he got there look bad or and or signed right before he got there look bad. And I would say their record last season is not indicative of the state of the team right now. We talked last week about how he's supposed to be this offensive whiz. He's supposed to be the next coming. That Peyton Manning cosign, nigga. He might as Listen, well have gotten a cosign from Jay-Z himself. There are some quarterbacks who have gotten lots of mediocre coaches' jobs. Peyton Manning is one player who's gotten Adam Gase jobs that he does not deserve. He's a mediocre play caller on his best day. <laughs> and he deserves not to be a head coach let alone an offensive play call in this league. We talked about this before. There are so many black coaches who don't get the chance that Adam Gase has gotten who are better than him at his job. For one, the offensive coordinator of the Chiefs, Eric Bieniemy. Tell me why he doesn't have a head coaching job, why he didn't have the Jets job. Todd Bowles had the job before Gase got there, but still Eric Bieniemy was by far the better option. But that is also one year before Super Bowl leading offense. But it's also the season after his quarterback won the MVP and put up ridiculous numbers in his second year. I, I, but look, I'll say this right now. Adam Gase is terrible. And don't get me wrong. I'm with you on everything you said. But Matt Patricia is worse. And what's worse is, People aren't even talking about him as much. They are 1-3 right now, the Detroit Lions, which isn't much better than 0-4, but they are 1-3 with way more talent on their roster. Look. Who? The Jets have Le'Veon Bell and Sam Darnold, right? Sam Darnold is super young, unpolished, etc. The Lions have veteran QB with Matt Stafford, Kellen Galladay. They had Golden Tate. Marvin Jones Jr., Amendola, they have AP, they have DeAndre Swift, and somehow they have managed to blow double-digit leads in every game this year. These niggas are the NFL version of the bubble clippers. I can't say that Matt Patricia is a good coach. It's another case of a mediocre coach getting a job. In this case, because he coached under Bill Belichick and Anyone who coached for the Patriots in the last 20 years with Bill Belichick and Tom Brady as the quarterback somehow looked good. Don't get me started on that. This is even worse. This is worse. Because the GM came over from the Patriots, fired Caldwell, who had just had back-to-back 9-7 and seasons and took the Lions to the playoffs and hired Matt Patricia, who was supposed to be a defensive guru from the Bill Belichick line. And he has consistently had one of the worst defenses in the league every single year. He's coached the Lions and the defense has literally gotten worse every single year he has coached the Lions. So I'll add, when they got rid of Jim Caldwell, it was because they said, 
oh, we think that we should be doing better than nine and seven. We should be winning more often. But if you look back at the history of the Lions, since I've been alive, since my mom has been alive, they ain't never been winners. So getting to nine and seven and having a winning record consistently was quite arguably Jim Caldwell forcing this team to overachieve. Not to mention, he's the perfect example of a coach who was doing perfectly fine, who then got fired for doing fine and has not gotten the opportunity that a lot of other coaches get as retread hires. And that's a whole other story. But I would make the argument that the Lions on paper seem to have more talent than the Jets. But Matthew Stafford has always been a quarterback who has empty numbers. And if I am correct, has only made the playoffs once where he took an L to my Cowboys. I want to say both Jim Caldwell years he was there. I think one of those seasons they went 9-7 and seven but missed the playoffs. The other season they made it as a wildcard team. Okay. Okay. So basically Matthew Stafford is white Dak. Wow. That is <laughs> not at all an apt comparison. Empty calorie yards. Listen, you can say a lot of things, but overall, Dak has won more games every year consistently than Matthew Stafford has. The Lions have not had running backs who rush for a thousand yards. And I think the last one may have been Reggie Bush, who just barely got over the thousand yard hurdle in like 2014. If I remember correctly, I'm not a Lions fan, but that's just, I would say they have less talent. Do they have some pieces on paper? Yes, but they've never had a coach to kind of bring that together the way that Jim Caldwell has. But I still think Adam Gase is worse. At least the Lions had leads in their games. The Jets are the most inept offense through four weeks of the NFL season in a very long time. The thing is, though, Gase inherited a bad team. It wasn't like Gase inherited a playoff team, three straight years, winning, Case inherited a team where the last three seasons before he got there, the Jets were four and twelve, five and eleven, and five and eleven again. He has one of the best records that the Jets have had since 2015. So yes, they went seven and nine. I just explained why that was a little bit of a late season push. But I would even add they're going kind of opposite directions. And I would even make secondly the argument that. Adam Gase is worse as an offensive coordinator slash play caller than Matt Patricia is as a defensive coordinator slash play caller. One of them is worse at their jobs than the other, and it's definitely Adam Gase. No, by far, it's definitely Matt Patricia. His defensive stars don't even want to play there anymore. Like, a good argument for Gase being terrible is that he ran off Jamal Adams. And I agree, he ran off Jamal Adams. But Matt Patricia has done that to three plus stars on his team remember Darius Slay pro ball cornerback all pro cornerback after his first year being an all pro and being a pro ball cornerback Matt Patricia told him he wasn't elite and then took a photo of him with another receiver that he put up on IG put it up in front of the entire team and then roasted this nigga and basically called him a pussy ass bitch So I can't deny that that happened because it obviously did. But the other argument I think we got to factor in here is what division they play in. So the Lions play in, I would argue, a much tougher division where there are multiple teams competing for a playoff spot every year between the Bears, the Packers, and the Vikings. And all three of those teams have made playoff runs 
in the past five years. Whereas when you look at the AFC East, the only team who consistently does well there has been the New England Patriots. And outside of that, there have been easy games to win in the division that helps bolster your record and make you look better and can help you make the playoffs. So if I'm making this argument, I would say Adam Gase should have had a or done a better job. He inherited a young team who had some talent, both on offense and defense. They signed Le'Veon Bell, had Sam Darnold, had Jamal Adams, and a pretty decent defense that Todd Bowles left them. And he's made them worse somehow than when they were doing. I would argue that sure, Matt Patricia has done a poor job, but I would also make the argument the Lions overachieved under Jim Caldwell only have talent on paper and have never demonstrated the capability of really putting it together on the field and their division is just tougher. That sounds good, Demarcus, but here's where you're wrong. You said that the Jets have never been successful. I've given you the three seasons before Adam Gase got there. He had last year the best season since 2015 for this team and they stayed in the same division with the same amount of competition he inherited a shit show, and at least he knows it's a shit show. In press conferences, he talks about how they have a lot of work to do. Things need to get fixed. He's going to get it on track, but at least he's moving in a positive direction. Now, on the other hand, Matt Patricia is going in the opposite direction. He's going downhill, and when he was questioned about this in a post-conference after a game, he is fucking delusional. He was like, well, we all know what I inherited here. It wasn't a very good football team. And, you know, I had a lot to turn around. No, nigga, they were just in the playoffs before you got there. Okay. So it's very possible we're both right. But here's where I got you. Are you willing to make a bet on who gets fired first? It don't have to be big. I'll put five on it. I don't think I'm going to win this one because the GM came in and hired Patricia as his guy and they both came in from the Patriots. I do, however, think when Matt Patricia gets fired, the GM of the Detroit Lions gets fired with him. They clear it out straight up, top down, redo. So that sounds like you think they're going to make it through this season and then get let go. And you think that Adam Gase is going to get fired sometime this season. Because I think the Jets will keep their GM. That's kind of why. I mean, considering he came on after Gase was hired and these players were picked, it's usually a case of the GM wants to kind of pick who he works with. So I don't disagree. And I think I'm going to be right on this. With Billy Donovan and the OKC Thunder mutually splitting ways and Billy Donovan getting the head coaching job in Chicago, now we have to think, who are the Thunder going to pick for their next head coaching decision? I got to ask you, Demarcus, what's the fly route? So I might shock some people with this. This may not be the most popular pick, but I think it makes a lot of sense. And if not for one thing about this person, they would probably already have a head coaching job. So my pick is current Spurs assistant coach, Becky Hammond. I think she would be an absolutely fantastic pick for head coach. And like I said, except for the fact that she's a woman, she would probably already have a job. There are men who get jobs every single year 
who don't have the resume that she has. So first, she's a former WNBA player and one of their all-time greats. Preach. She ranks 15th or higher in so many of their categories. Let's talk about them. Free throw percentage, three-point field goals made, assists, total points, total games played, free throws, and minutes. She's been a Spurs assistant coach for the past six seasons. She's coached their summer league team three different times in 15, 16, and 19, and coached the Spurs Las Vegas summer league team in 2015 to a summer league championship. Preach. In times that coach Greg Popovich has been kicked out of the game or had to miss a game, etc., she's the go-to to replace him as head coach when he's not around, with only one instance where that was not the case, where Tim Duncan coached the team instead. She's been his first assistant for a long time, and I would even argue has been proven to learn how, or know how to develop young players. Okay. Okay, I like that. But here's what I think the flight route is. Mama, there goes that man. Mark Jackson needs this OKC job. That's I don't know the option. He needs it. Huh? He make pretty good money calling them games. OKC needs Mark Jackson to take this job. How okay, about what's that? your argument? All right. There's only one actual good critique of Mark Jackson's coaching ability, and that's the fact that he wasn't able to get the Golden State dynasty over the hump. And that's fair. Steve Kerr came on in, put the keys into the ignition, and instantly drove them to a ring. So why aren't we giving credit to the man that built the goddamn car? Listen, I think you're wrong. So I I think that's a criticism, but I'm going to talk about something else a little bit later, but I think you're wrong. All right, let me get my shit off. Let me get my shit off, okay? OKC will be trading CP3 and possibly also Steven Adams. We know it, which means they're going into full rebuild is why they split ways with Billy Donovan, which means they're going to be bad for a bit and going to have very high lottery picks coming in, right? And they already have a super treasure trove of lottery picks with Denver's first round pick in 2020 and 2021. They have Miami or Houston's first round pick, whichever is higher. 2022, they have the Clippers. 2023, they have the Clippers and Miami's. And the one thing you should say is that Mark Jackson knows how to evaluate talent and draft them. Bob Myers did not do it all by himself. The coach clearly has input on draft picks and he should get credit because he had input on both the clay pick and the Draymond pick. He developed them into the juggernaut players that they are and instilled that defensive intensity into both of them. You done? Go ahead, Demarcus. Got it. So I think the criticism of Mark Jackson goes well beyond his inability to maximize the talent of Golden State and get them over the hump. And as a Warriors fan, this is this you know I love the guy. This is gonna hurt to say, but I got I got to speak some truth right here. There are two other criticisms of him that are important and prominent in the NBA circles that are going to stop him from getting this job. The first came from the Warriors owner, uh, Lakeup, who made comments about a year or two ago that Mark Jackson was not great at the X's and O's of the game. Now, was he a great player as a point guard for the Knicks, etc.? Absolutely. 
But there's a reason that Clay and Draymond took massive leaps forward after he left and how Steve Kerr realized how those players should be used to maximize their potential. But even outside of the X's and O's, there is another criticism that's probably going to be more important and the reason why Mark Jackson has not gotten another job. And that's plain and simple. He's rubbed a lot of people the wrong way inside the organization for different reasons. Some, you know, in the world we live in today, think he's a little too religious. We've all heard the story about how he, you know, prayed over Steph Curry's ankles. Bless them ankles, nigga. (laughs) He's been fire ever since. He has been fire, but some people have a problem with that and thinks he has a hard time connecting with players because of that. Take your time, Pastor Jackson. (laughs) He actually thinks he is a pastor. He is, and he blessed (laughs) Steph Curry's ankles, and Steph Curry has been God mode ever since. I I think the other argument to be made about kind of how he rubs people the wrong way is also just that there is a kind of rumor that he did not want to bring in assistant coaches to push him in certain areas, like, for example, redesigning the offense to be more modern, you know, in that kind of area. So I think there are some real criticisms of him outside of not maximizing the Warriors' talent that will give any decent GM pause on bringing him in. Plus, as a fan, I love hearing him call NBA games, and I don't want to give that up. Here's what I'll say. We talk about retread on the tires for coaches a lot. You're right. A lot of coaches, especially white coaches, are given the excuse of, They learned from their past mistakes and they will make adjustments going forward. We hear that for D'Antoni getting his next job. We heard that for Mike McCarthy getting his next job with the Cowboys. He's all about the analytics now. He's learned. Listen, we we don't talk about the the NBA. You bringing up my Cowboys thing. I didn't do it this. Look, I I gave you an NBA and an NFL example. I'm out here. I got him. I'm loaded, nigga. And let's give him that same credit. I just want to say. They drafted Steph Curry in 2009. Steph Curry's first breakout year was under Mark Jackson. He broke out, became the seventh best scorer in the league under Mark Jackson. Clay became a great defensive two-way player under Mark Jackson. Draymond, perennial defensive player of the year candidate under Mark Jackson. Even Steve Kerr says the defensive effort of this team and everything it was was Mark Jackson. I think we just got to give him the credit where it's due. He knows how to build the team. He got the savvy veterans in place. Andre Iguodala, Bogut, etc. He put together the team that Kurt took to the next level. And he needs some credit for that. Becky is amazing. Becky might be better at the X's and O's than Mark Jackson. We don't know. But what I'm saying is, This OKC team is not a team that's win now. This OKC team is trying to build for the future. And even if Mark Jackson won't be that person to drive you over the hump, he builds a motherfucking Lamborghini, nigga. So listen, here's the real round winner for you. Usually, the Thunder, when they pick their coach, they don't pick people who've had head coaching experience. Billy Donovan and Scott Brooks were both people who had never coached at the head coaching level in the NBA. This is the perfect reason why they're going to pick Becky Hammond over Mark Jackson. They just see the the higher upside in her. And if you're like, we need someone to develop our team to put them close to being over the hump or put them over the hump in a few years, 
Why not Becky Hammond, who's seen everything that Pop has done to make the Spurs overachieve literally every season? Not to mention, they'd be breaking some ground having the first female head coach in the NBA, which I think is also fantastic. That is fantastic. She deserves a coaching position. She deserves a coaching position in this cycle. However, for the particular situation that OKC is in, I think the fly route for them, i.e. the right thing, not necessarily the most likely thing, is to hire Mark Jackson. The only thing that's working in your favor here, this is the last thing I got to say, is that their coaching job has been open for over a month and they haven't filled it yet. And to my knowledge, Mark Jackson is in the bubble, but Becky Hammond is not. So maybe we'll see what they do. Maybe you're right. Maybe I'm wrong. But we're going to find out eventually before the season starts. We are four weeks into the NFL season, and I feel at this point, we kind of know what teams are going to be. So let's give you our takes for the AFC North and South. So we're going to start with 30 South. And I think even if you had asked me four weeks ago what this division looks like, I would have been 75% accurate. The only team I think I am much more down on today than I would have been a month ago has got to be the Houston Texans with their 0-4 start, as we talked about already, and their head coach getting fired. With the offensive talent they added, and wide receivers like Randall Cobb, you got Will Fuller coming back, more experienced, etc., not to mention adding, hopefully, a more consistent running back in David Johnson, thought their offense would be good, and they would have a decent start, even with a tough schedule. That has not happened. So that's the only team I think my predictions have changed for, but everything else is the same. Now, that being said, I think we got to acknowledge the elephant in the room for 2020, and that is COVID-19. And I'm going to say some things about the Titans that I think are true and that will prove to be true, but it comes with the huge asterisk that COVID-19 does not wreck their roster and take out key players for long periods of time or force them to possibly forfeit games because they can't build the appropriate team when it comes time to play again. But I think very easily the Titans should win this division. It's very easy to argue that they are the best team here. They have Ryan Tannehill, who's proven to be good at the quarterback position after leaving our boy Adam Gase. He took them again to the AFC Championship game last season. Derrick Henry is still running over defenses, and as the season wears on, they're going to be more and more apprehensive about tackling that man. They've got an offensive coordinator in Arthur Smith, who has done a phenomenal job and is on the short list to get a head coaching position this next coming up offseason. And so all of them are going to want to prove their worth. And in particular, although Tannehill got his money already, He's going to want to prove every doubter wrong and prove that he's worth every dollar that the Tennessee Titans have given him. So easily think that's our division winner. They should be in the playoffs, might make a run again. We'll see. Fun COVID fact. After the Patriots and the Chiefs still had their game on Monday because there were no more positive tests after Cam Newton, practice squad Patriots player Bill Murray Tested positive for COVID. Hold up. His name's Bill Murray? 
nigga's name is Bill Murray. Like Bill Murray, Bill Murray. Like the comedian. Yes, like Groundhog's Day. Yes. Yes. Didn't know that. Okay, that's interesting. <laughs> uh, next up, second in this division, I have the Colts. So the Colts are a team that never really excites anyone since Andrew Luck retired, but always are consistent and good on the field, etc. They made a pretty good signing this offseason, picking up Phillip Rivers. You know, we all thought Philip Rivers was in that category of declining slash quarterback who has already declined. Kind of what we're seeing out of uh, Tom Brady and Drew Brees right now, but just a little bit earlier. But he's actually started off this season really, really well. So thus far, the Colts are three and one. Philip Rivers is completing over 72% of his passes, which is about five or six points higher than his career average. He is averaging a little over eight yards a pass attempt, which is pretty good for the NFL. That means every couple of throws, you're going to get a first down or get pretty close to one. The Colts have usually had a pretty decent run game. Now, the injury to Marlon Mack is going to hurt them, but they have some depth that should prove to be sufficient to get them through the season. They have a pretty solid offense, and they play in a division that's soft. They have the Texans to play against, who have not looked great thus far. And then they have the Jaguars, who I just don't think are a good team. I see the Colts going 9-7 and seven and being able to challenge for a playoff spot with the new seven-team format in the NFL. We'll see what happens, but I think they got a decent chance. Now, the Texans, a team I started off by telling you that we, I was down on, that I wouldn't have been a month ago, I think they may end up being something like 7-9 and nine or 6-10, and 10, and I don't think that's ridiculous. They have a couple of winnable games coming up. I think teams typically respond well after their head coach or a major position or kind of uh, coach has been fired like an offensive or defense coordinator. And so I think they will rally for Romeo Cornell. They'll play well, but still lose a lot of games going down the stretch because at 0-4, you basically know that your season is already over. And I would think they want to protect Deshaun. Why would you want to risk getting him hurt again in a case where he is a young player who you just gave a boatload of money to and the last thing you want is him being injured which then brings me to the jaguars who are bad there's no such thing as Minshew magic tanking for lawrence maybe after they gave away leonard fournette for literally nothing because they couldn't even get back a bag of chips and in that case i would argue why not just keep him in the same way the nfl teams get keep a good running back and abuse him basically and then let him go because they're tanking for Lawrence. Anybody worth anything on their team besides DJ Chark because he's in his second year, they got rid of. Basically, which which tells me everything to know about them. I think at best they'll be 3-13. and 13. They will be in contention for the number one draft pick, but I think either the New York Jets or the Washington football team probably have better chances to get it. I think in this instance, the head coach Doug Marone is not a good enough head coach to pull even this team together. And get some wins at the end of the season. I don't see the, any upside for them. All right, let's get into the AFC North. Much more interesting division, by the way. Much more. I'm going to start with the Steelers. I think the Steelers are going to be nine and seven, maybe ten and six. This is always a good organization. They're consistent, consistently competitive. Last year, they lost Big Ben, and they still almost made the playoffs. This year. They have Big Ben back. Juju takes another step forward. James Conner 
takes another step forward. Oh, yeah. And like always, their defense is fucking amazing. And Mika Fitzpatrick unsurprisingly looks like a star under Mike Tomlin. This is a team that is fifth in opponents points per game and second in opponents yards per game and scoring touchdowns 50% of the time that they are in the red zone. I'll take this. This is a playoff team guaranteed by far second in the division, possibly third, which we'll get to a little bit later. Okay, let me let me chime in real quick here. So I think James Conner is good. I think he'll have a good season, but I think he's a player who will get hurt at some point this season and miss some games. I think more importantly, on the kind of other side, I got to give Mike Tomlin a lot of props because there's a big, big problem that he basically hid for years that none of us realized how big it was. And that problem is AB. And in that area, Mike Tomlin has proven to be a great coach because none of us knew any of the craziness going on in the background. So I do think they will probably go nine and seven or 10 and six. I just don't think it's going to look the way that you think it's going to look. Okay. We'll move on to the Ravens. The Ravens go 14 and two. I think they might only lose one other game this season. We know that this team is amazing against every team that is not Kansas city or the playoffs. They have kind of important, (laughs) but talk about regular season records right now. They have the fourth best defense in the league when we're talking about points per game. They rush the second most in the league and get the second most rush yards per rush, which means all of their runs are effective. And there are only four teams who the opponent rushes less percentages of their plays than than against Baltimore. What this means is this team is constantly in control of time and possession They get up early, they run the ball down your throat and make sure that you never touch the ball. So the few times that you can touch the ball, you're behind, you have to throw a lot, and that allows their defense to keep you one-dimensional. This is the team that's going to control most of the games they go through and just going to slaughter the league as things go forward. So I think you're a little high on the Ravens. I think they're a great team. The question is, how well can Lamar Jackson read defenses, and can he continue to stay healthy while running so much every weekend? Now They have too many good running backs. Sure, but if your quarterback is hurt, your quarterback is hurt. And if everyone knows he's... Part of the reason that Lamar Jackson has been so effective is that defenses just shit themselves when he starts running, and they don't know what to do. I think, in particular, if there's a case where he gets hurt but is still playing and he becomes more predictable and has to stay in the pocket and read defenses, the Ravens could be in some trouble. And I see them going more 11 and 5, maybe 12 and 4. I think, more importantly, it just is going to take the right defensive coordinator to try something to, you know, slow him down. And that's going to provide a blueprint for the rest of the league. In particular, you got to know that after you win the MVP, you set the league on fire last year, teams are going to come at you, number one, acting like you're their Super Bowl, and defensive coordinators are going to try to want to prove their worth against him to stop him and slow him down. The next is the Cleveland Browns. I have this team going 9-7, and seven, possibly 10-6. and six. I think this Second place in the AFC North is going to be decided between the tiebreakers, between the Steelers and the Browns. The Browns are going to be good this year because they are relying less on Baker. 
They're going to run the ball more and hopefully continue to use Odell in creative ways because he's a threat literally any time the ball is in his hands. Losing Nick Chubb is going to hurt them, but Kareem Hunt is more than a valuable replacement. Remember what he was doing in Kansas City? I don't think their running game is going to miss a beat. Now, they have an embarrassment of riches on offense. This is a team that both has a higher percentage of their plays as runs, higher yards per rush, and higher rush yards a game than Baltimore. And teams run against the Browns even less than they run against Baltimore, which means that, again, time of possession, controlling the clock, being able to keep the other team's offense off the field while having a defense led by Miles Garrett is going to be amazing for them. They have the second best turnover differential in the league and lead the league in takeaways. At worst, I can see them losing the tiebreaker to the Steelers, but I think this team is going to be quite good. So let's go on to the Bengals. The Bengals aren't going to be very good. I have them going 4-12. and 12. This team is going to struggle a bunch and not win many games. But A.J. Green is back. I want to see him excel. I want to see him stay healthy. And we're going to get to see Joey Burrow air it out every single week. Only one team in the league throws more passes a game than the Bengals so far. I think they'll lose a lot of closer games later on in the season, but this team is currently outmatched. They just don't have the talent around Joe Burrow right now to excel, but this is the team to look for coming in the later years. All right, this is our final segment, the way we like to end our show, the heart of our show, Ballers Bouquets. Many times in the media, they only want to focus on the salacious and negative things that athletes do, and they never want to give athletes credit where credit is due. Here, we like to make a change. So in this case, I don't want to give this dude no credit either. Uh, that's because for the he team the team he plays for it's the Washington football team. As a Cowboys fan, I'm not a fan. But in this case, this week's baller bouquet goes out to the Washington football team safety Landon Collins. So just this past week, Landon Collins was named the NFL Players Association Community MVP for his efforts in handing out over 1,500 mills gift cards, and other items to single-parent households in the D.C., Maryland, Virginia area throughout the month of September with his Humble Path Foundation. Now, this was not a one-off event either. This is not something he's doing just because of COVID. This foundation has been around for about a year, and he has been running weekly meal delivery services in the DMV area since April. In addition, you know, he does this in particular for single parent households. He believes that, you know, no child should not have the opportunities to succeed because of where they come from. And in particular, he's done a lot of things over the past year with his organization that I want to give him props for. 
Through the organization, he served meals to more than 400 frontline workers across a four-week period during the height of the COVID-19 pandemic this year, had a back-to-school giveaway that supplied 200 at-risk youth with new backpacks, school supplies, and hygiene kits, hosted a Thanksgiving dinner for 600 kids in partnership with the Boys and Girls Club of Southeast Louisiana, where he is from. He surprised 25 kids from a local sports team with a shopping spree, led a disaster relief fundraiser in partnership with the Red Cross to assist in those impacted by Hurricane Sally in his home state of Louisiana, and created an all-star STEM workshop for at-risk youth. And by the way, that's not all that he's done. He is very deserving of the NFLPA's MVP Community Award for the month of September, And he's probably deserving of a lot more praise and honor for all the effort that he has done in his community. As the child of a single parent, I have to say these are the kind of efforts I really appreciate. And these are the kind of actions that help me get to where I am today. So I had to give him the shout out, even though he plays for a team I don't like, because everything he has done is deserving of it. If you want to donate, go look up his Humble Path Foundation and you'll be helping out homes of single parents and kids who were just like me. That was it for episode five with the fly route podcast. As always, we appreciate you all taking the time out of your days to listen. We do this because we love sports. We love hearing your feedback, hearing what you all have to say, do us all a favor and follow at the fly route pod on Twitter. Tell us who you think won the argument for who should be the next OKC head coach. We want to hear from you all. If you have any more submission ideas, like the one that opened up our tee off, we couldn't be more grateful. Share it with a friend. Yeah. Keep on sharing. If you've been a day one listener with us for this first month or so that we've been doing this podcast, thank you again and keep spreading the word. Although sports is slowing down a little bit, we're going to have lots of content for you. And as the different sports seasons change in and out, we are going to have deeper dives into areas that you request. So again, please continue to reach out on all of our social media. You can follow us at the Fly Route Pod on Twitter and Instagram for jokes, memes, and the chance to interact and engage with us. See you next week.